Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Polifito, and I'm here today with Dr. Nancy Holcamp of the Pepos Vision Institute in uh, St. Louis, also clinical professor of ophthalmology at the Washington University School of Medicine. Nancy, welcome to Retina Synthesis. Thanks, Carmen. Happy to be here. You gave a wonderful uh, discussion about the no-tell home OCT system at Angiogenesis 2022. And I think that many of our listeners are going to be interested in hearing what you have to say. What is the no-tell home OCT system? Well, it's a pretty amazing technological achievement. I mean, all of us do OCTs in our office and a technician has to do it. And to get a high quality scan takes a technician and a cooperative patient who both know what they're doing. And then you sit there and you review it and scroll through it. So what Notal has managed to do is uh, create a device where the patient can scan themselves at home and get very high quality scans. And then those scans are uploaded to the cloud and a physician can actually get on their laptop and go up to the cloud and review or scroll through the images. And then they also have an artificial intelligence program that can read the scans, analyze the scans and give uh, a ton of information, lots of new metrics about fluid dynamics and uh, disease progression, and it's just really pretty amazing. Do do patients uh, like the system? Are they able to use it independently? Yeah, so that was part of the feasibility study that I presented at Angiogenesis. Um, so uh, my co-investigator was Jeff Heyer in Boston, and he and I had access to 15 of these machines. Now, the machine weighs about 16 pounds, and it's probably most similar to the machine at the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's about that size. It sits on a tabletop. So the way it works is FedEx delivers it to um, the patient's home. They take it out of the box. They put it on a table, and basically they press a button, and it starts working. And they rest their forehead up against a pad like you would at the Department of Motor Vehicles, and they're asked to align two plus signs. And as soon as those two plus signs are aligned, the scanner starts automatically. Mm-hmm. And what's impressive is you can do this with 2200 vision or better. So even our patients with AMD who have low vision can scan themselves successfully. And in this feasibility study, we found that Um, over 96% of attempted scans were completed and over 90% had a very, very high quality of scan that was interpretable looking for fluid. So the answer is yes. Um, Where is the, there's a remote reading center involved too. Is that correct? Well, it's not really a reading center. So because it's a device, they have to have a remote data collection center. So there's no physician there reading it. When you and I say reading center, we kind of think of Duke or Wisconsin, um, where people are reading the scans. Actually, there's just a central data collection site where data is monitored. Um, Like how many times a week did you test? Because if it's not enough, they'll circle back, an alarm will go off, they'll call the patient and say, hey, you should be testing. 
but they're not really reading the scan. So I wouldn't call it a reading center. I'd call it a central offsite data collection center. So, uh, so how would this system be deployed clinically? Well, that's a great question um, because it could be a real paradigm shift for all of us. And I think I mentioned at angiogenesis that the one thing you have to do as a physician is trust it. So we, you know, if a patient is at home, they're scanning every day, me as the physician, I set parameters that say, if the fluid gets to a certain level, I think they need to come in and get a shot. So they get an alarm and I could go to the cloud and look at that OCT myself but when they come to the office for the shot, the question is, do I really need an OCT? I'll probably want one. But I think over time, we'll learn to trust that the OCT is accurate and be giving shots even without having to get our own office OCT. Because after the shot, you can actually track how the fluid goes away and you have access to these images up in the cloud anytime you want. So I think it could be that patients monitor themselves at home, particularly with these extended duration injections or long-term drug delivery systems, or if we get gene therapy, patients monitor themselves at home. If their scanning falls outside of parameters, then they come in and get a shot. And that might be the, the new treatment paradigm. So how did you use it in the feasibility trial? So patients only had it for three months. And I specifically gave it to patients with a high VEGF need who were coming in every month because they would have fluid. Because I wanted to see the fluid dynamics. I didn't give it to stable patients. I didn't give it to pe people with no fluid who were on a treat and extend with no fluid. So I, I specifically picked patients with fluid almost all the time. And it was done in parallel to their normal treatment with me, to the standard of care. So it didn't impact treatment decisions. It didn't affect my management, but it was done in parallel. And because I purpose, purposefully selected people with fluid, it's amazing to watch the subretinal fluid. You give an injection in some patient, it goes all the way to complete eradication. And then at their interval, it just starts coming back. Um, but in other patients, it never goes completely away. Some people have a very quick time course of fluid resolution within a couple of days, and some people it's very gradual over two weeks. There's a large degree of heterogeneity in how our patients are responding to these injections. And intraretinal fluid is very interesting too. Sometimes it goes away right away, and sometimes it never really goes away, which makes you think that it's not truly leakage, that it may just be cystic changes in the retina. But you just learn so much by seeing every OCT in between the injections. So uh, in terms of notifications to the physician, can you set the parameters, the windows of subretinal and intraretinal fluid that you'll find acceptable? Well, for right now, that's pie in the sky. That hasn't been done yet, but it has every capability to do it. And so I could say, well, I really don't want to tolerate any intraretinal fluid at all. So as soon as 
um, the home OCT says, sees intraretinal fluid, they get an alarm, they come in for a shot. Other patients, I might tolerate some subretinal fluid in order to extend them out as long as it's minimal. And the key is that the home OCT quantifies fluid in nanoliters. And I think nanoliters is going to be the new metric by which we talk about wet or dry. And in our feasibility study, um, there was agreement between Jeff Heyer and I and the home OCT about which eyes had fluid and which eyes didn't have fluid. And where we disagreed is that the home OCT could see minute amounts of fluid, like four nanoliters of fluid that quite frankly, Jeff and I couldn't see. Um, but when we went back to those scans and looked, you know, you could see why the computer said it was four nanoliters of fluid. Now, I don't know if that amount of fluid is actionable, but every physician might set up their own parameters and it may be very individualized to the patient as well. So, so setting parameters is pie in the sky right now, but this technology has every capability of doing that. So in the uh, investigational portion of this exploratory portion, were there alert parameters set up? So that, did you get alerts from the from the systems or were you looking at the scans, all the scans? Because it was a feasibility study, I was asked to look at, I had seven patients in the study. I was asked to look at their scans every week. And so I would sit down with my laptop and I would scroll through every scan for every single day on both eyes. And so no alerts were, were set up, but I was keeping a list of when I thought fluid showed up and uh, whether it was intraretinal fluid or subretinal fluid, but because it was a study, um, both uh, Jeff Heyer and I, both of us went through the scans on all patients, both eyes, every week. We'd sit down and we would review the week of scans. What was the quality of the scans? Really good. Um, so at angiogenesis, I reported on the quality of scans. It's an arbitrary scale from zero to seven. And anything two and above is high enough quality to see fluid. And seven is the highest quality scan. And in fact, um, a lot of the scans were very, very high, high quality. And they have to be high quality in order for the artificial intelligence algorithm to work. And that algorithm requires a score of two through seven. But I'll tell you where the big difference is from this home OCT and where the major limitation may be is that it's really the only, only the central three millimeters. Mm -hmm. So I can get a, 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 a full macula scan on a Heidelberg. I can go, you know, uh, from the optic disc out temporally, I can scan the entire macula, but this technology so far is the central three millimeters centered on the, the fovea. So if you have extra foveal fluid, it may not pick it up, but it will certainly pick up foveal, foveal involving fluid, juxtafoveal fluid, um, but it's not a whole macular scan. But probably the, the area that's being considered is enough to make clinical decisions, correct? Yes, I would agree with that for sure. 
if yeah. you're going to scan any of any area, they're in the center. Um, so uh, I think it is sufficient for making clinical decisions. Yes. So what what's the next step in evaluating this technology? Well, I think the next step is validation that the scans are equivalent to what we have in our office. It's part of getting the FDA to approve it. It's part of getting physicians to accept it. And so the study that is currently ongoing right now um, involves multiple centers, a total of 128 patients. They're on the machines for five weeks. And during that five-week period of time, they, get, they, they take the scan at home, but then they come in the office the same day. And, and, and at least in my study center, they're getting a Zeiss Cirrus scan. And the quality mm -hmm. of the scans, the information from the scans taken on the same day between the two devices is being compared. So um, it's really validating the machine and making sure that it's accurate and um, reliable. So these patients are having weekly OCTs? Well, they're coming in three times uh, for this study, and then they're on the device uh, at home. Again, it's not playing a part in any patient care decisions now. It's alongside patient care. Again, I am... Uh, actually uh, putting people into it a week before they get their shot. And then they come, so they, they get three scans. They get this a week before their shot, their shot, and then I see them back in a month. So um, they're getting tested on multiple time points, but they're not coming into the office every day. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you think this will be used clinically? Well, um, I think it's going to streamline care. I think uh, ophthalmology is certainly set up for telemedicine here. I think a lot of other areas of medicine are utilizing te telemedicine way more than we are. And I think patients can be monitored at home. Let's say they get a susfemal implant and they can be monitored at home. Let's say we eventually get gene therapy, they can be monitored at home. And the patients absolutely love it. And of course, I have motivated patients in my study, but they love being scanned every day. Um, uh, there was a high degree of patient satisfaction. So I think if we listen to our patients, if it improves access to care, if it allows us to individualize treatment, anti-VEGF treatment better, I, I think there's definitely a role for it. Um, and I think as soon as we start getting injections for geographic atrophy and our offices are overwhelmed with other things that we're going to be doing, we may actually want our patients to, to monitor themselves at home and, and, and not be in our office because I think soon we're going to have other things to do to keep us busy. This has been a great discussion. Thanks so much, Nancy, for your time. And uh, we'll stay tuned and be back with you once, once this is move further down the line. Thank you for coming on board. Well, thank you, Carmen. I enjoyed it.